My name is Leah Fiore Tracy, and this is Take Me to Eternity. I get told all the time that we ought not to question things so much, that the people who do have a religious spirit, or they're legalistic, or just being critical. Revelation 2.2 says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they're not. And you found them to be false. We aren't to tolerate evil, and we are to call it out and warn our brothers and sisters about it. Today, I have a special guest that I'm sure some of you know. Most of you probably know. Her name is Holly Pivik. Holly is an author who writes about the NAR. Um, she's co-authored several books and is a blogger who exposes the terminology and agenda of the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR, as well as teaching on apologetics and theology. Um, she has a co-author. His name is Doug Guyvet. I hope I said that right. Mm -hmm. um, she has a blog site that is um, hollypivic.com, and that's H-O-L-L-Y-P-I-V-E-C.com so that you can find her. Uh, one of her most recent books is called Counterfeit Kingdom, and I have it right here, and it is an awesome book. I highly recommend getting it. Um, get it for your pastor and get it for your friends. It, it helps us to be able to spot uh, something that most people don't know about, or at least a lot of people, they don't understand the verbiage and how to be able to spot this. Um, it really takes what the NAR teaches and the dangers of it, and it puts it on the bottom shelf for people to understand easily, um, for people who don't have time to weed through it and understand all of this themselves. So all of these things I've been warning about with the NAR, that is talked about in this book, and, um, and I really recommend getting it. So welcome, Holly. Thank you so much, Leah. Thanks for having me on. I've really been looking forward to this discussion with you. I'm so glad you are here talking to me right now. It's pretty awesome. Um, can you tell everybody a bit about yourself and why you are qualified to speak on the NAR and apologetics and theology as a whole? Sure. So I have been researching the new apostolic reformation movement or the, the NAR or the NAR movement, as it's called for about 20 years now. I first learned about this movement when I was working at Biola University in Southern California. Um, I was the university editor there and I was managing editor of Biola Magazine. And so I would receive letters from readers of the magazine regularly. And one day I received a letter from a woman who had graduated from Biola and she was, she sent it to the magazine, but she was hoping, I think that, that maybe we would forward it to like a professor uh, at Biola um, because she was seeing this, this movement in her city. She was describing this movement of apostles and prophets who she said were taking over all the churches in her city. And she was very concerned. And so as she described this movement of apostles and prophets, it caught my attention because I was a researcher of cults and aberrant groups. I wrote articles for the Christian Research Journal, and um, I was getting my master's degree in apologetics at this time, so I thought I'd pretty much heard of every group out there, every sect, and, um, but I, I didn't recognize what she was describing, this movement of apostles and prophets, so I got online, and I 
I started Googling and I quickly found that the new apostolic reformation was a very large move, movement, even 20 years ago. Um, you know, I started seeing all the networks, the, the churches, the books. Um, and, and so, so that's how I first learned about this movement. And, um, then, then, um, I quickly realized though, that someone I had just started dating that I, I had met at a Starbucks coffee shop, uh, was actually a part of this movement. I started recognizing the lingo um, as I started learning about this movement. And so that was, so it intersected with my personal life, even though it kind of began as an academic interest and it quickly became more personal for me. And so I share that story in the book, Counterfeit Kingdom, about my dating relationship with Adam, who's now my husband. So he, his eyes were opened. Um, thankfully, and to the errors of this movement, and he came out of it, and he's now a pastor, and he warns people, and he helps me write my books, and and really gives me a lot of insight as someone who was part of this movement um, at one time, but um, so so I have written four books now uh, with my co-author, Doug Guyavit. We have um, two that that came out previously that, that really look, that provide, um, I have one here, so a new apostolic reformation really um, explains the theology of the movement and goes into great detail. It's very heavily documented. And, um, and then we had another book, God's Super Apostles, which was like a more condensed version of this book. And it includes anecdotes, stories of people uh, who were harmed by this movement. And it has a lot of practical advice for people um, who might have loved ones who are involved in this, this movement or, or that kind of thing. Um, but then, but those books provided more of a general like framework for um, what the NAR is, the theology of the movement. And so our latest book, Counterfeit Kingdom, which came out in November, the one you're talking about, um, that one really looks at the practices of the movement. So it does talk about the theology and it explains it, but it also goes really into the practices, the ways that this movement is infiltrating churches, ministries, music, the tangible ways it shows up. So people can see, see how it might be entering their own churches and also the tactics leaders in this movement frequently employ to draw people into the movement, um, to keep them from questioning their teachings, that kind of thing. So, um, and then we have a fourth book that actually we're, we're proofing right now. We're in the final stages that will be coming out hopefully in the next few months um, that will, will, um, take a deeper dive actually into the theology specifically of Bill Johnson and Bethel church, um, in Redding, California, which your audience might know Bethel church is the most popular, most influential church in this movement today. And so that's why we have focused a lot on this particular church in our books. Yeah, that's super exciting. Uh, I'm excited for the next book coming out. <laughs> that's going to be <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I live really close to Reading, and it is super influenced around here, but what surprises me is when I talk to people around the world, um, people will message me and talk to me about, I mean, just all over the place, some uh, places where you're like, okay, well, their reach isn't going to go that far, but it really is, and it's, it's growing mm -hmm. um, really fast. So yeah, um, we, we receive letters from people um, regularly, daily, 
um, people all around the world sharing the ways that that this movement has harmed them, how how it's brought division to their churches, how it's brought division to their families, it's caused their own disillusionment with the Christian faith. Um, but um, we often regularly hear about Bethel, the reach of Bethel Church in Reading, and we've heard from people from uh, virtually every continent. <laughs> just like like you say um just places you would never imagine that bethel has a reach in, in countries and and people will say yeah bethel teachings have come in you wouldn't believe how much bethel teachings have come into to churches in our country and so it really does have a global reach yeah i mean that kind of has to do with um their push though um I, i'm sure we'll get more into the the Dominion theology and um, and Seven Mountain Mandate um, a little bit later, but you know, as you understand what they believe, what they teach, you can kind of see a little bit better why their reach is so far and wide, and um, why they push, you know, it into the music, and they they have people in politics and um, all over the place, and they are just trying to spread. Um, as much as they possibly can. And they really are doing a good job of that. Um, so for the people who don't know, can you explain what the NAR is? Right, so the New Apostolic Reformation is, as I said, a global movement. It's fast growing, it's very popular. And the, um, the leaders of this movement claim to be authoritative apostles and prophets. And they claim that they are bringing new revelation that all Christians need so that all Christians, every Christian can learn to develop miraculous powers such as prophesying, healing the sick, raising the dead. And they would say that actually we should be learning to work greater miracles than Jesus worked. And it's not just that we can work these miracles, it's that we should be. We're actually being disobedient if we, if we don't try uh, to develop these miraculous powers. And, um, and the reason they, they're doing this, you mentioned the dominionism, they believe that the church needs to rise up as this like in time army and bring God's physical kingdom to earth. Um, and the only way they think that can be done is if, if, is if all Christians are activated in supernatural powers and, and become this army that's performing these miraculous signs and wonders. And, um, and so, so they would say that the reason they say the great commission actually is that the church is supposed to be taking dominion of the earth. And they would say the reason the church hasn't been able to complete the Great Commission for the past couple thousand years is because apostles and prophets have been missing. Most churches have not recognized apostles and prophets in their church government structure. And so they would say that uh, the core teaching is that apostles and prophets must hold governing offices in the church. They must govern because that's the only way they can bring their new revelations that all Christians are supposed to receive. And they would say that um, really a church that doesn't have apostles and prophets in a church government is outside of God's will, that even pastors and elders are supposed to be submitted to apostles and prophets. So they can, so they really essentially hold the highest offices in the church and all others, including pastors are supposed to submit to them. And so um, it's really important to realize that these teachings are not standard historic Pentecostal or charismatic teachings. So these go way beyond. These are radically, radically beyond those teachings. So, so um, 
Pentecostals and Charismatics will believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like speaking in tongues, prophesying, healing. But when they talk about someone who has the gift of prophecy, they're not they're not talking about someone who who claims to hold this authoritative formal office in church government that everyone submits to and receives their new revelations. What they're talking about is maybe someone that has a, a gift for encouraging other believers or uh, or individuals or local churches. But but in the NAR, the prophets claim that that they hold these offices, they govern the church, and some of them claim to be giving revelations that are literally for the global church. So it's new new like doctrinal revelation that all Christians globally are supposed to receive. And they claim to be giving revelation for nations, for entire nations. And, and they claim, and, and they also give revelation for, for individual people, but, but they claim that their words are supposed to be taken very seriously. They're supposed to be obeyed. And, and so this is very different than, than say, you know, a Pentecostal or charismatic gift of prophecy, which is not seen as authoritative in that sense. And, and so um, it's, it's important for people to realize that NAR teachings are very extreme. And because of that, many Pentecostals and Charismatics are also very concerned about this movement. Yeah, I mean, it's with good reason. Um, you know, a, a normal Pentecostal would say uh, prophecy is important. But when you get into the NAR, um, they say it's not on par with scripture, but then they put it right up on par with scripture and they talk about um, the new revelations, as you were talking about, that um, I'm not sure how it shouldn't be put into the canon if God's telling them things for the nation. Um, yeah, they say it's, they leaders in the NAR will say that their words are not equal to scripture, but they're also to be taken very seriously, to be obeyed. Some of the revelation is new doctrinal revelation. They deny that, but it uh, it is doctrinal revelation, things like the seven mountain mandate. Um, which we may talk about later, but, um, and so, and so really just because they're not taking the, their revelations and adding them to the Bible, physically appending them to their Bible, it, their, their words still are effectively, um, on being treated on a par with scripture. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, um, you do a good job at highlighting is, um, the fact that they say one thing and they teach a whole nother thing. So in order to know what they're teaching, you have to actually go into the books that they're writing and, mm -hmm. um, and filter through what they're teaching because they, um, they tend to say, oh no, we don't teach that or no, we don't believe that. And then that's exactly what they're teaching, which you know makes it really slippery to try and pin down if somebody is actually a part of this movement. Um, and I think it actually helps them to be able to infiltrate in other other arenas uh, better because they can say, no, we're not a part of that. You know, we have nothing to do with that. And then they just slip it under the radar. That is, yeah, that's true. There is a lot of deception in this movement and people need to realize that because um, as you said, you know, they'll say they're not teaching certain things, but when you go to their actual writings and their messages and their sermons, they are teaching those things. And so it's very important for people not to just accept what they what they say when they're being confronted, when they're being challenged about their teachings. They need to actually go to their their books and their sermons and really listen and, and see what they're teaching. And we really take great care to document 
their teachings and our books because we want to show people that we're not just saying they teach that. You can go to their actual the writings and their messages and, and see for yourself that they're teaching those things. Yeah, I mean, your references in the back um, to show where you found all of your sources are, are pretty extensive. I mean, there, there's not many books that have um, that much reference to if you want to know where it comes from, this is where we find it. You can go find it yourself. And I, I find that um, that helps with credibility for sure, because people can go look for themselves and it helps them to be um, their own uh, Bereans. They can go and they can check it out and see if uh, what you're saying is actually true or not. Help bring people out of this movement. Right. Yeah, some of the the feedback we hear frequently is people are grateful for our documentation um, that it is so extensive. Um, so I know that uh, different people say different things about um, what Bethel teaches as the gospel. And um, I was wondering, do you believe that the NAR in general teaches the Jesus of the Bible and the gospel laid out in scripture? So you can find the gospel being presented um, at Bethel, for example. I visited Bethel, and during my visit there, um, I actually went forward at the end of the service because they invited people to come forward, and because I wanted to see what the people at the front, the young people, they were probably Bethel School Supernatural Ministry students or someone who had been trained to talk with people who come forward. And um, though this young, these young college age students gave me a track that presented the gospel. It was something, it wasn't the four spiritual laws, but it was something that, that presented the gospel. And it was, it was a, a, a little track that presented the gospel of salvation, you know, from sin that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and, and um, rose from the grave. And by putting our faith in him, you know, we can receive forgiveness of sins and and it was, it was the gospel, but the thing is that the gospel isn't, that gospel is not forefront in Bethel and often in our teaching. It's, um, it's, it's more like they bring it out. It seems like when they're being challenged, if they're, they're being challenged on their teachings, they say, oh no, we, we teach the gospel, but it's, but what they really focus on in all their books and their messages and their sermons is, um, is really signs and wonders, learning to work miracles, um, prophesying, taking dominion. This is really their message. Those things are their message. And, and you really only hear, hear the gospel uh, um, more when they're being challenged, it seems like. Um, and so, so it's really overshadowed. And, and I would say that's very concerning because it raises a question about a lot of people who attend these churches like Bethel and other NAR churches, do they really even understand the gospel? Because it really is not the, the um, primary uh, message or focus of these churches. That's one of the things that I have noticed about them is they're really uh, highly intelligent and they know the truth. Um, they just know how to distort it and teach something that is not necessarily um, the truth that they say they adhere to. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. why, you know, when you look at um, the series that they're doing, it was Rediscovering Bethel. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen them, you know, they, they talk about all of these different practices and such that um, they're saying, no, we don't have anything to do with that, or they try and explain it away or whatever. 
But when you get down to it and you actually look at what they're doing in on a day-to-day, the majority push for what they're teaching, um, it's contrary to the things that they're saying. Yeah, um, and I will we point out so in our we we do point out in our book that they make a distinction between like the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. And they talk about the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is really the good news that Christ by his death and resurrection made it possible for the church, for Christians to take dominion of the earth. And so, and they would say that, that that's really um, the, the gospel that they teach. So, so it is important for people to realize that they do make this distinction between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. And it's the gospel of the kingdom that they push. Yeah, I've heard uh, Bill Johnson say that if the gospel doesn't have signs and wonders in it, it's not the gospel, which Mm -hmm. was a bizarre thing for me to hear because, um, I mean, the gospel doesn't include signs and wonders, (laughs) you know, that the signs and wonders isn't the the good news. That's right. Um, Not to say that God can't do miracles or perform signs and wonders because we know he can, but um, so I was drawn to Bethel's teaching. Um, a lot by their music, um, elevation worship, Bethel, Jesus culture. The fact that churches endorse this music by playing it on their services, um, it really made me think that it was okay. Like they were endorsing. I mean, I, I think if you're going to be playing music at church, it's you're going to be endorsing whoever you're playing. And um, you know, I've heard a lot of people say well, you can't look into everyone. There's old hymns that go back to people who fell and this and that. And um, I I really am big on, yes, but they're not going to point them straight to a, a church that's going to stumble them or put, uh, mm-hmm. put blocks in their way from being able to know who Jesus really is and um, what the gospel really is. So mm-hmm. e- even after knowing that the churches have problems, they're still being used like crazy. Uh, knowing all that you do about the NAR and Bethel in general, what can you tell us about how we should handle their music? Yeah, so it's important for people to realize. So, so much of the many many of the most popular songs today are produced by churches that are that are overtly NAR and by overtly NAR I mean these are churches that embrace the core teaching of NAR that apostles and prophets are supposed to govern the church so churches like that would include Bethel Church and Reading um, um, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City and there they have forerunner music Gateway Church in Texas Jesus Culture in Sacramento which came out of Bethel Church these churches are overtly NAR um, there's other churches that if they're not overtly NAR, they still have very strong NAR influence. Um, like uh, Hillsong Church, actually, and Hillsong, I, I think, is overtly NAR. People, we, we document in our book the history of, of um, NAR influence on Hillsong and, and how the leaders at that church have been viewed as apostles um, and prophets. But, um, but um, there's other churches like Elevation, which is not an overtly NAR church, but the music definitely has a lot of NAR influence on the music. And the way you can see the influence is, is the teachings, the NAR teachings and buzzwords um, actually show up in the lyrics. 
And a lot of people don't know that because they don't know what our teachings are and they don't know the buzzwords. But once you start learning the teachings and the, the buzzwords, you can start seeing it for yourself and then you can't unsee it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you start spotting it in a lot of the popular music that's played on the radio today, that stream, that churches are singing on Sunday mornings, even churches that aren't NAR, uh, you know, so many churches are using Bethel music today, churches that are not NAR. And they're not realizing when they're singing the lyrics that that there is are not teaching the buzzwords that are coming off their lips that that they're just not aware of because they don't know the teachings. And some people might say, well, what's the problem with that? You know, if they don't know what they're singing and if 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 they're hearing these lyrics in a you know in a way that is sound, um, well, well, one problem is people are being primed and they're being conditioned to be more receptive to our teachings. Um, another problem is that, um, a lot of, many people have shared that they first were drawn into Bethel church and to NAR because of the music. They really liked the music. And then they started researching the church. They attended a conference, uh, you know, next thing they, they decided to sign up for Bethel school of supernatural ministry or move out to Reading to be closer to the church or, or another NAR church. And so, um, so the music really is, uh, uh, gateway drug into NAR. Um, and, and, um, also, you know, by using when churches are using this music, they're funding, they, they have to pay to use the music. So they're, they're funding and fueling the spread of this movement and, and lead Beth, Bill Johnson, that the apostle of Bethel church ha, has been very open that he sees Bethel music as a tool for spreading NAR teachings and practices to churches throughout the world. And, and this is something he's, he's been very open about. And, and he's also stated that I'm paraphrasing here, but when the anointing of God is on a song, it will get people to believe things that they wouldn't believe just through teaching. And so he sees the music as a tool to get people to become more receptive to our teachings and practices. And so it's important, really important for pastors of churches, even churches that aren't NAR to realize when they decide to use this music, uh, the ways that that um, that the, the people that produce this music music see this as a tool to spread their teachings and 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 it's causing people in their churches maybe to get drawn into NAR and so so we really advise pastors and churches to avoid using uh, music that's that's produced by churches that are overtly NAR like Bethel Church um, or Gateway or or IHOP KC International House of Prayer. Um, and also to, to really look closely at lyrics coming from other places as well, um, because a lot of the NAR theology has made its way into um, music produced by other labels as well. I know that um, one thing that, like you said earlier, once you see certain things, you can't unsee it. Um, once you understand what their push is and what they mean when they say certain things, um, you can't unsee that. And I know a right. lot of people, uh, um, they hear their music, they hear some of the things that they say, and they put their own um, definition on it and think mm -hmm. it's okay. So they, they hear what is said and they say, well, it sounds right to me because I think that they mean this thing. But mm -hmm. once you really dig in, and you start to see them define their own terms over and over, you can see that's not what they're saying. Um, so it makes it so, you know, I think a lot of pastors and teachers and um, 
pretty much anybody who's going to be influencing other people in what they should be listening to or um, hearing from should really get some kind of understanding um, of what they're saying and the words and things that they're using and what they actually mean when they say it, because then they yeah. can uh, better spot it when they are mm -hmm. looking at stuff. And I know that it can be really dangerous. I mean, you get people get drawn in and um, I've heard some pretty crazy stories about, you know, all of a sudden somebody's kid goes off and decides to randomly move to Reading to go to church there and then they cut off their family mm -hmm. and a lot of people think that this is like fringe things that are happening but it's not people are getting like really hurt by this and um, I don't think that they see the dangers that are actually happening you know no we've heard yeah we've heard multiple stories of of like you said of of college-age students enrolling in Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry and then going there and then cutting off all ties with their family. Um, and not just at Bethel, other other NAR churches as well and organizations. And so, yeah, what you say in, in the lyrics of the songs, you know, one example for people might, like if you're not in NAR and you hear a song where they're singing about a resurrection, resurrection, you would think like, oh, they're talking about at in the end, you know, when Christ resurrects everybody who died and, um, you know, but, but they're not, they're talking about now, like a modern day resurrection. And that can be seen in Bethel church's efforts in December, 2019 to raise little two-year-old, all of the daughter of a worship leader at the church from the dead. when she, when she died unexpectedly in her sleep and they spent six days making prayer declarations and singing and dancing and chanting and making these prayer declarations they they call them commanding all of to you know to come out of the grave to to be resurrected and so and so there's an example where that's a theme that's common in our music is is like resurrections and, and they're they're thinking modern day resurrections and and so um there's a real emphasis on miracles in our music and of course, all Christians believe in miracles. God can do a miracle anytime he wants to, and he does do miracles. But um, but it's such a focus in our music, the idea that God is going to perform a miracle. He's going to heal someone now um, that that it's really an unhealthy emphasis on miracles. And and it causes people to to think like, well, I'm not seeing miracles like this happen all the time in my life. They're not normative. And so maybe I should go to a church. They're not happening at my church. And so there's a real irony that people that are attending non-NAR churches that are singing this music are going to look around at their own church and they're going to say, well, these miracles aren't happening here. Like maybe I'm at the wrong church. And then they're going to go to another church where like Bethel, where they think the miracles are happening, even though it's a myth, they're not happening like that. But, but, um, and so pastors need to also consider when they use this music, if they're, if they're a pastor, that's not NAR, they need to consider that that's what people in their church are doing. They're, they're looking at their own church and comparing it to the experience they're singing about, you know, in the songs and they're seeing it doesn't line up and that may cause them to go elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, the, the push for miracles and stuff is a, it's very interesting when you are listening to them, 
um, talk about it because it, as you were saying, it's not like, okay, we do know God does miracles. We, we absolutely believe that, but the, the push is, uh, that you can decree this thing to happen. You can make it happen with your words and, um, you have the authority and it puts all this basis and emphasis on you and it takes it off of God really. And um, a lot of times, though, they say that, you know, God is the one that's performing the miracles. Um, they act like it is them that is calling this miracle into being, which um, it, that's what they believe, because they believe that um, their words have power and that they have the authority to do that. And I've heard them talk about how um, nothing can happen on earth unless we uh, decree it so that God can work on earth, which is absolutely backwards from everything that I know of scripture. <laughs> God doesn't need help, you know? Yeah, um, their, their theology but, of paranoia. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Their, their theology, you know, of prayer is, you know, they think that they, they think that like most Christians, you know, the biblical view of prayer is we pray and we ask God if it's his will if he'll heal someone or, or provide finances, you know, or do this or that, that's petitionary prayer. But in NAR, they think that petitionary prayer is a, is a less effective form of prayer. It shows less faith. And really that uh, the prayers that are effective and show faith are, are prayer declarations. So we speak words, we use our authority to speak words, as you said, and, and those words allegedly like create a reality or they commission angels to go out and, and fulfill our words. And so it's a very different view of prayer, but and that's an example where they equivocate on language as well. So they'll use the word prayer, but they're talking about prayer declarations um, often. And, and that's a way that Christians who are not in art can kind of get sucked in, not realizing that, that they're equivocating. They're using the same word prayer, but they're giving it a different meaning. And our leaders do that with a lot of, um, a lot of wor different words. Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. You look for a second time before, you know, after about um, having a discussion. And it's um, after the Asbury Revival. So I had listened to it before the Asbury Revival, and then I read it again afterwards. And um, one thing that I kept saying during the whole thing was, you know, where's the gospel in this? And when I was rereading your book, I was, um, <laughs> I was very interested to hear that a lot of the things that I had been saying, you were saying in your book about revival and questioning it. Um, I think that questioning is actually really healthy. You know, we're supposed to test every spirit and test it by the word of God. So um, while I was reading it again, I was laughing because in your chapter on counterfeit revival, you bring up the same things. And it made me wonder how much your book influenced me and my mindset on how to view certain things without realizing it. Um, and I thought that was awesome because, you know, you were one of the people that I found to begin with when I was starting to question um, NAR teachings and the way that you lay out um, why there's issues and where the issues are. Um, like I said earlier, it just puts it on the bottom shelf so that um, people can more easily see it and understand it. Um, but one of the things that you helped me to understand better was the seven mountain mandate and dominion theology. 
um, I got a ton of pushback when I first started talking about it because I said that their goal is total world domination. And people thought I was like, just being silly or, you know, like, okay, that's, that's not really what their goal is. Um, but it really is. And um, the verse that says on earth as it is in heaven is misused by them. Like so often that's like a, a huge verse that they just completely blow out of the water, you know? Um, but it made me wonder it, what do you see looking at the combination of the seven mountain mandate and dominion theology in the NAR and how does the verse fit into that aspect? Yeah, so the seven mountain mandate is a revelation that NAR prophets claim to have received. Uh, it's a strategy they claim God has given the church for taking dominion or socio-political control um, of, the, of the world and of society. And so they would say that the strategy, according to the strategy, um, the church is supposed to rise up and take control of these seven major societal institutions, which they call mountains. So like government, business, education, the arts, and on it goes. And, um, and they would say that apostles are supposed to rise to the top of those institutions because they're the only ones authorized uh, that have the authorization to cast out these high-ranking demonic territorial spirits that they would say rule over those institutions. And so those spirits have to be cast out and then, and then the church can take control of these institutions. And, and through that, um, they would say that there's going to be this great end time revival that they call the billion soul harvest when over a billion souls will, will come into the kingdom. And that will be through um, the seven mount mandate. It will be because people will see the amazing miraculous signs and wonders the apostles and prophets are performing that will, um, these apostles and prophets will allegedly fill stadiums with people where they'll perform these miracles. There'll be uh, news stations like, you know, ABC and CNN and all these news stations will be filming the miracles. They'll be broadcast and that will cause this great in time revival. Um, and so, and, and they, and, you know, as I mentioned before, they believe the great commission is actually a commission to take dominion of the nations. And so um, they would say, we don't just disciple, we, we're not just making disciples of individuals, but we're making disciples of nations. And so um, now NAR leaders disagree, or they might have differences, I should say, in how much of God's kingdom they believe can be brought to earth prior to Christ's return. But they, they do agree that, that the church should be working to take dominion as much as to whatever extent that's possible. And they believe it's to a great extent that, that the church can take dominion of the earth prior to Christ's return. And so um, does, that, does that answer your questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that they are, you know, they, they pushed for uh, the billion soul harvest and all of that. And um, I, it's interesting hearing different people talk about their uh, view on what that means and as you said they don't all agree um, but some of them they go pretty far into say that um, that they need to bring in um, Jesus's reign on earth and that the whole goal is to uh, make it so Jesus can come back which mm -hmm. I mean it, 
you know, when you look at all these different aspects, it just seems like it's more and more emphasis on man and less on God. And um, we should have more emphasis on God and less on man because it's really not our power and it's not ours to wield because it's his will, you know. Right. And and so you mentioned, I forgot the part where you asked about on, on earth as it is in heaven. So the Lord's Prayer, Bill Johnson of Bethel will teach that the Lord's Prayer is really, it's, it's, um, it's like a strategy or a battle plan for bringing God's kingdom to earth that, that he would say that the Lord's prayer actually shows that it's, it's God's will for us to make earth exactly like it is in heaven. So there's no sickness in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. There's, you know, there, there's no um, mental illness in heaven, all these things. And so because of that, that shows that it's God's will for earth to reflect heaven and that the way he would say that the way we make earth reflect heaven is um, through our prayers, really through our prayer declarations, that, that we make prayer declarations that will bring God's kingdom to earth and that will make earth reflect heaven. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting uh, push that they have for the power that we yield on earth. Um, you see, you know, Bill Johnson with classes and... Um, his son is uh, mostly deaf and, you know, we see sickness going through these, these families and um, you, you just wonder like where, how, how strongly can you believe this thing that isn't actually active in your own life? Um, so talking about the apostles and the prophets um, and, you know, they try and say that we were missing that in the church, which that would be a pretty big thing for Jesus to like, you know, not having apostles and uh, prophets in his church for, you know, however long it has been since they say there was before, you know, thousands of years. Um, but the verse Ephesians 4.11 um, gets thrown at me quite a bit. And it says, um, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Um, does this teach us the fivefold ministry? I know that's another thing that they mm -hmm. uh, throw around, which can also mean different things to different people. Um, and is this setting up churches and how they're supposed to be governed? Right. So as I said before, the core teaching of NAR is that the church is supposed to be governed by apostles and prophets. And they they get this teaching. In fact, the entire NAR movement is based on that verse, Ephesians 4, 11, that the, all the theology and everything is built up on, on this single verse that, that Christ has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And they would say, they, they sometimes use the analogy of a hand. And, you know, the church has been missing two of the apostles and prophets and so only when apostles and prophets are restored, can the hand be like God's powerful fist, you know, to bring God's kingdom to earth. But, um, but um, so that passage though, Ephesians 4, 11, they take out of context. It says nothing about, it's not setting up a formal government structure for church government, uh, five offices. It actually says nothing at all about offices. And so, so that verse is, is really taken out of context and they put things into it that aren't there, like the offices and then build their entire movement on that, that single verse. And so, um, but it's important for people to recognize that term fivefold ministry 
because if you see the term fivefold ministry, sometimes churches will have that in their statement of faith or on their website. That's a real strong clue that you're you're dealing with in our church because um, fivefold ministry doctrine was really popularized by the latter rain movement, which was a precursor to NAR in the, the late 1940s, early 1950s. Um, and it fizzled out um, because the Assemblies of God denomination back then condemned this movement's teachings. And so it, it fizzled out, but then these teachings resurfaced. And so, um, and now have come back and, and now in the new apostolic reformation movement, and so, so this fivefold ministry is a Lateran New Apostolic Reformation doctrine. And um, unfortunately, some Pentecostals and Charismatics are starting to use the language of fivefold ministry. Um, and they need to be very careful about that because this is a way that NAR is making inroads into Pentecostal and Charismatic churches um, because, you know, people hear them talk about fivefold ministry and, and NAR our leaders will, will often say, well, we're just talking about gifts, the gifts of apostle and prophet. We're not talking about offices, but what they're describing is, is really offices. There's real no difference. And so, and, but since Pentecostals and Charismatics have talked about the gifts of apostle and prophet, then, then our leaders can, can kind of uh, work their way into those churches by using that language. And so, so people need to be very careful not to start, start using that language of fivefold ministry unless they're using it to refer to the offices. Yeah, so, I think I've seen um, people use it like, well, we have had apostles and prophets and we have preachers and mm. teachers. And it's like, I, I understand that that is what you think of when you see it because you have more of a biblical understanding, but um, that's not what they mean. <laughs> And it's just another way that um, it's hard when you use biblical language in an unbiblical way. You know, you put your own definitions in it. Yeah, so, and I would even say, I wouldn't even consider fivefold ministry a biblical language because it's a, it's a term that's not from scripture. It's not supported by scripture. But, but there are some Pentecostals who've started using that language and they're not referring to the offices. They're just saying, I you know, the gifts, but, but again, I, I think that's, they shouldn't be doing that because it's a way that NAR is, is making inroads into their churches. Yeah, absolutely. So what are the differences between the 12 apostles and the other apostles that were in the Bible? Because I know for me, I get people um, say, well, there was the 70, you know, there, there were other apostles and they were doing amazing things. And um, so what is the difference between the 12 and other apostles? And are there apostles today? Yes, yeah, so yeah, good questions. Um, so the, apostles, the 12 apostles and also Paul, you know, these apostles were appointed directly by Christ. The 12 apostles actually they walked with him through his entire earthly ministry. They were witnesses of his resurrection, eyewitnesses. And then Paul, even though he, he didn't walk with Jesus through his entire earthly ministry, um, he did receive a personal appearance and commission by Christ, the resurrected Christ. And so, so these apostles, the 12, those apostles, the 12 and Paul, you know, they had a status, um, an authority in the the early church that's unparalleled and then now in addition there were other individuals in the first century church 
who were called apostles. But people need to realize that the term apostle has a range of meaning, much like our word messenger today, our English word messenger. You know, you can have a messenger who is just you know, delivering a message, um, maybe from the post office or something. You can have a messenger from God. You can have, you know, it, it has a range of meaning. Um, it depends on who's sending the messenger, right? And the same thing was with the apostle, the word apostle in the first century. You had the apostles of Christ, the 12 and Paul, they were sent directly by Christ. But then you had a, also had apostles of the churches that were sent out by the churches, maybe as missionaries and church planners or on particular to run for you know fulfill particular errands and that kind of thing and so what what NARA leaders do today though is is they'll they'll point to the fact that there were other apostles in the first century church and they'll say see look this shows that there were more than just the 12 and Paul there were more apostles and it's true there were but they didn't have the same level of authority they weren't sent directly by Christ and so it's really misleading for them to do that um you know, because all all Bible scholars will acknowledge that there were different types of apostles in the first century church. And so today, when you get to today, are there apostles today? Well, if you're talking about an apostle being like a missionary or a church planner, as as many Pentecostals do, for example, then yes, there are apostles in that sense. Um, but there are no apostles today that have the authority and, and the exact same functions as the um, apostles of Christ, as the 12 and as Paul did. And so, and, and Doug and I actually think it's, um, people shouldn't use the word apostle today to refer to present day like missionaries and church planners because it creates confusion, especially now when you have the new apostolic reformation movement because people will think you're talking about authoritative apostles and not just talking about missionaries and church planners if you use that term. Well, and I think, you know, through church history, they didn't use apostles, um, you know, for the, for the most part, you didn't hear that use. People wouldn't call themselves right. apostles. And I think it's because they, they viewed the 12 and they said, you know, I, I, I can do these other things that might fit into the category of apostle, but not that apostle. And I don't want to be named. Um, I don't want to take that title, you know, right. um, it's, one of the things that I've told people is if people say that they are an apostle, I would be running the other way because, you know, most people wouldn't want that. Most um, genuine people wouldn't want that title unless they are part of this movement that's happening. Um, and it's, it's really just another way of them redefining um, words. You know, they, they take something that can be used multiple ways and they say we're using it like a church planner or a missionary or, you know, in these other ways, but that's not how they are taking the authority. You know, they're, they're really lining themselves up with the 12. Yeah. So, well, it's, yeah, this is another example of equivocation where we're talking about. So, so when they teach in their books and their writings and their messages, when they talk about apostles, they believe apostles are giving revelation divine revelation new revelation but when they're challenged by critics such as such as doug and myself or other critics they'll say oh no 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 when we use the word apostle we just mean a missionary and a church planner but it doesn't take long to go look at their writings and their messages and their sermons and see that that's not all they have in view that's actually it's dishonest um and so we there was a statement put out called the nar and christian nationalism statement it was put out by joseph matera 
who's an apostle in NAR, and it was put out by Michael Brown. And they put out this statement, um, and in it, they, they gave a definition of an apostle, and they said, really, what we're talking about is like missionaries and church planners, that you don't even have to be charismatic to be an apostle. And so Doug and I wrote a response to that statement, and we, it's a very lengthy response, but we sh we, it's because it's so heavily documented, for one thing, we looked at their writings and their messages, so no, that's not what they mean uh, when NAR leaders use the term apostle that there's clearly they they see apostles as much more than just mere missionaries and church planners yeah when you go on to the um i don't remember exactly what the the title is but there's the the um forum that says uh all the people who are apostles today you know it'll it shows the u.s um head apostle i don't remember what it's called um u.s cal is it united states coalition of apostolic leaders that's exactly what it is. But when you go on there, there are um, descriptions of a, a apostle that don't fit into a missionary or a church planter. And it, it's very, um, you know, for these people who say we aren't in the new apostolic reformation, um, they use that language like in their own stuff. So it gets really confusing because they try and say, I'm not part of that movement. I don't know what you're talking about. And then you yeah. see them saying we are in the new apostolic reformation yes they use the exact term and we also show that in our in a so if people go to my blog at holypivot.com they can find our response to the nar and christian nationalism statement and we show that 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 these same people that say we're not part of the new apostolic reformation use that very language on their websites and their books um and they've described themselves as being part of this movement so so this is an example of of more of uh what really looks like deception yeah it's sad um i think it's part partly how um they are flying under the radar in so many places though because they they say no we're not a part of this i don't even know what that is and then um, they get into, you know, sound places, places that are biblically um, literate or biblically sound, and they um, start feeding in their little bits of um, twisted doctrine, and um, they start changing that church or, you know, the people around them start to adapt these other ideas that aren't, aren't actually biblical. Um, I know a few years ago when I was calling stuff out, you know, I was just saying like, look, there's these things happening and um, they, they aren't okay. Um, I was trying to warn people about stuff that was going on at Bethel and things that they were practicing and teaching. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't want to believe that there is an occult tool push. So there's practices and tools that are used in the occult that are being pushed in places like the SSM, the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, and um, as well as, you know, one of their uh, friend sites, which is Christ Alignment. It's not Bethel, but they are affiliated with them. Um, and there's things like, you know, you talked about this in your book, which I, I love the fact that now people are able to start seeing like, you know, I'm not just crazy. <laughs> this isn't stuff that I made up. Other people have documented this way better than I have. Um, but things like grave soaking and um, tarot cards that they call destiny cards, 
the dead raising groups, um, when they're talking about uh, raising from the dead, you know, it's, they actually have dead raising groups. Um, there's a lot of numerology, the whole uh, thou shalt not pass fiasco when they did the Lord of the Rings ritual. Um, the glory clouds and purple bubbles of protection. I mean, it sounds bizarre and made up, but it really isn't. Um, people trying to levitate, um, you know, telepathy is being uh, taught in Bethel and other places in the NAR. Um, the law of attraction, just there's all these different things, you know, give, there's necromancy and it just, looks like things that are taught in the new age with a really bad christian veneer um i know that i've talked to people who have ended up in the nar that are straight out of the new age and they get pulled back into new age practices because they're in places like bethel who are teaching the same things do you see these practices as a fringe issue or is it something that's like getting absorbed into the mainstream like amongst the hyper charismatic groups? Unfortunately, it is entering the mainstream more and more because, and you know, all these things you describe, many of those practices you describe, we talk about in, in chapter three of our book, um, that these practices are being taught at Bethel and in the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And for people who don't know, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, students enroll there. It's a three-year program where students enroll to basically learn to become miracle workers. And students have described the school as like, a, uh, they call it the Christian Hogwarts, um, like the school in Harry Potter books, the school of wizardry. And, um, and so, and, but one thing that, that they do in, in NAR and at Bethel is prophetic activation exercises where they say, they claim that they're activating people in a prophetic gift, people who never have prophesied before can learn to prophesy. And they'll do things like they'll have uh, two people stand back to back and they'll blindfold them. And they'll say, say the first thing that pops into your head is a prophetic message for the other person, like, or guess the person's birth date or, or the color of their front door, maybe when they were growing up as a kid or, you know, all of these things. And they're supposed to be, and all these prophetic activation exercises, um, something they have in common is that you're supposed to say whatever pops into your head and you're not supposed to filter it. Um, as long as it's encouraging and it's positive, just say it. And that's how they teach people to prophesy. And um, so, sorry, remind me of your question again. I got a little off track there. I mean, I think that was actually really on track. Um, okay, I yeah. So these are being, these practices are being mainstreamed because Bethel School Supernatural Ministry has a school planting division. They're helping other churches throughout the nation and the world start their own schools of supernatural ministry. Many other NAR churches have started their own schools that aren't even affiliated with Bethel. Some use Bethel's curriculum. And, um, and so these type of prophetic activation exercises and the other practices you talked about, the, the necromancy, all of these uh, other things too, the destiny cards, these are, these are starting to be practiced by more and more churches that have their own supernatural schools of ministry, or they might not have schools, but they're just teaching courses on how to interact with angels, interact with your angels, or um, 
how to do dream interpretations or how to learn to prophesy, you know, and, and these kind of classes and courses that churches are offering. So, so they really are becoming mainstreamed, unfortunately. I mean, this has got to be a really exhausting um, movement to be a part of, you know, it's, it's a constant push for more, a constant push to do more and have more faith. Um, you know, with the, the, declarations and worrying about your own thoughts and um, the faith that you have to have to have all of these things uh, come true, you know, mm -hmm. the constant push for miracles and signs and wonders, it just has to be so incredibly exhausting. Yeah, and, it, and if, you, if you think that it is always God's will to heal someone of a disease or a sickness, no matter what, there's no exceptions, as Bill Johnson teaches, then if you're not healed or your loved one, your child or someone you care about is not healed, then you start to think, well, what am I missing? There's some new revelation that I need to get or, you know, and, and so like you say, it's exhausting. Um, they feel like they have to go to every revival hotspot in Lakeland, Florida, or, or wherever it is to travel. If there's a revival that breaks out to get the latest revelations, um, and a lot of people have have shared with us the burnout they've experienced being part of this movement. Um, people have shared that, you know, they if they went a few days without having what they thought was a dream from God or some kind of supernatural experience, they would start to wonder, was God mad at them? Had they done something wrong? So it really is exhausting. And it really becomes like a, a works-based salvation you know, and, and people talk about when they leave NAR, I mean, they describe themselves as being in recovery, which is remarkable. You know, you can have, you know, Christians might get caught up with different theology or, or, and when they, when they decide mm, maybe that doesn't quite line up with scripture and they, they don't describe themselves as being in recovery. <laughs> you know, if they decide to switch churches from a Baptist church to a Presbyterian church or something like that, they don't, they don't talk about being in recovery, but people that leave NAR, they talk about having to, they join recovery groups, like recovery groups on Facebook that are there helping people when they leave this movement, because people have, have realized they have to relearn how to pray biblically. They have to relearn how to read the Bible because they've had apostles and prophets just tell them what the Bible means and give them revelations. And they haven't learned to read the Bible for themselves in context. Um, people that are just, um, really broken um psychologically because they've been blaming themselves for a lack of healing or or these kind of things um so so yeah these things are all very damaging yeah it's no wonder that so many people are um leaving the faith altogether because they think that mm -hmm. this is christianity and that this is god and mm -hmm. their their view of god is so warped um they they don't know who god really is and um they, they can't rest in his peace if they don't mm -hmm. know that he's sovereign and he is the one that's always in control. It's not up to us. Um, that it's, yeah, the more that I know about the NAR, the more I just like, these people must be exhausted all the time. You know, one of my biggest mm -hmm. joys is knowing that um, it's not up to me, that God is the one who saved me and I don't have to um, live up to some expectations of somebody else, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, and I don't think people realize it. I think the pe people who are currently in NAR, they don't always realize that they're exhausted and, 
And it's not until later when they, they leave and their eyes are open that they look back and, and they realize, wow, just what a um, burden they were living under the burden and a burden the apostles and their prophets are putting on them. You know, in the Bible, Jesus talked about the Pharisees putting burdens on people that they themselves couldn't even lift. And, you know, the apostles and prophets are doing that. They're saying that everybody's supposed to be working miracles and even greater miracles than Jesus worked. But what apostles and prophets out there are regularly working miracles, let alone greater work miracles than Jesus worked, you know, and they, um, and there is this mythology out there that miracles are occurring all the time at places like Bethel. Uh, but that's a mythology. The truth is that, that the evidence is not there that these miracles are happening all the time, like they're claiming. And in fact, I mean, Doug and I have had meetings with other, like another NAR leader who actually told us that he doubts that the miracles are happening at Bethel with the frequency that, that leaders there claim. And this is another major leader in the movement who says that. And, and um, people who have come out of Bethel School Supernatural Ministry, like Jesse Westwood, you know, he has the Breaking Bethel series he's come out with on YouTube. He's, he's told me that, you know, he never, he doesn't believe he saw a genuine miracle ever happen during his time at when he was there. And so, so it's really a mythology that these miracles are happening all the time, like, like they claim they are, but, but people believe it. Well, I mean, it stirs up um, people being interested, right? People want to be healed and they want to see miracles. And um, I know I have my own health issues that I would love to be healed from. And um, it's not that I don't think God could, because if he wanted to, he could take all my health issues away. But that's not, <laughs> it's, it's not mm -hmm. what's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the things that I have been looking at a lot is um, the, the push for witchcraft to be accepted in the church in um, different forms. Do you think that like the acceptance and push for things like Harry Potter um, being accepted in the church and said to be a view of Christ himself. Do you think that could um, further these kids to accepting NAR teachings and the, the uh, new age that's pushed in? Because it's just, instead of doing it, instead of reading this book about it that is, um, you know, fun looking, they are actually able to try and do it themselves in real life. Well, so are you saying that some people view Harry Potter as a, a view of a picture of Christ? Is that what I, yeah, I've heard, I have heard that quite a few times okay. by, by people who are, um, well-known apologists that are, it was bizarre to hear. <laughs> hmm, okay. Yeah. I hadn't heard that before. I, I do think that, well, well, I think there's evidence that, um, of the effect of Harry Potter books on the thinking of children, because we, as, as I already mentioned, students at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry refer to their school as the Christian Hogwarts. So clearly that has, that book series has impacted a generation. Um, and I, I think people need to be careful about, um, you know, there's been a mainstreaming of, of, new age and occultic practices in our culture. Um, they've, they've 
been becoming much more popular and, um, and mainstreamed. And so as an interest in occultic practices increases, um, you can see how that, that might correspond with an interest in, in these kind of practices being promoted as well, I would say, in our churches. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting to see um, Christians try and adapt um, witchcraft and, you know, new age practices and say that it's okay with yeah, so well, many the, warnings. Yeah, so leader, like, like NAR leaders will say that new age practices were, were actually practices that belong to the church, but they were stolen by new agers and that now they need to be uh, redeemed and reclaimed for the church as tools for advancing God's kingdom. So NAR leaders have been very open and like in the book, The Physics of Heaven, for example, they've been very open about um, the, the fact that their practices do look very similar to New Age practices. And they would say that's because the New Agers stole these practices from Christians. And of course, now Bethel Church, from what I understand, has recently just stopped selling the book, The Physics of Heaven, after Mike Winger did his um, expose on the book. But the thing is, people have been warning about this book for years and years and years, and they still, Bethel still continued to sell it. Uh, Bill Johnson, Benny Johnson, Chris Ballatin contributed chapters and, and um, to that book. Uh, and um, there's even a Bethel stamp on the back of the book cover. If you look, it has a Bethel church stamp. It, this book was clearly promoted uh, by Bethel leaders for many, many years and sold in the Bethel bookstore. And that's very concerning. And, the, and then they just kind of silently removed it from their bookstore after Mike Winger did his recent expose, but there's still a lot of um, unanswered questions about, about that. You know, they need to do more than just silently stop selling it in their bookstore. Yeah, I mean, they, they, it's something that has been an issue since it came out. I mean, since before yeah. it came out, obviously, because they were teaching those kinds of things even before the book came out. And uh, in other books, and, we, and there's mm -hmm. other books too, where they promote, and other, and their messages and their, you know, they've been promoting these, these teachings for many, many years. It's not, you're right. It's not just in the physics of heaven book. Yeah. But it seems like every time they're called out by someone um, who has enough viewers to mm -hmm. cause a commotion, um, they end up, you know, doing damage control and mm -hmm. doing things like, okay, now we're not going to call it. I'm not going to call myself an apostle now, but I'll still let other people and I'll still hold the title. Um, you know, they, they end up, when they're around one group, they speak one way, and they're around another group, they speak another way, and I've seen that in people like um, Brian Simmons, you know, he, he'll talk very differently, um, depending on who he is in front of, and um, you really have to do your due diligence to look at what they're saying, um, to understand, like, what they're really meaning, so in the book, you talk about them going to new age events and um, prophesying over people and they won't use the name of Jesus, but they say they're bringing people into encounters with Jesus, which they call spirit. Um, I have had a lot of backlash when speaking out against Christ alignment and um, Bethel going to, you know, there's been a lot of um, students talking about going and videos and pictures of them at these events and trying to um, prophesy and bring people into encounters. But you made a really good point on page 43 that I wanted to bring up. 
you said um, the disciples used the name of Jesus even when threatened by the tribunal interrogators. And then you quote Acts 4, 18 through 20 that says, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach it at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And I, I really loved that you brought that up because um, there is no other name that we are going to be saved by. And if we are not bringing up the name of Jesus, I'm not sure how you can um, bring people into an encounter with him or share the gospel with him because um, he's our, our cornerstone, you know? Yeah, so for context, yeah, Bethel's students would, would go to psychic fairs and pose, essentially kind of pose as psychics and, and they would they would give spirit readings, they would call them, or basically they would say these are prophetic words. Um, but um, yeah, they would they would say, you know, they would avoid using the name of Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit or any language that's viewed as religious because they wouldn't want the the new agers to to just be turned off, you know, by their use of this language. And so so they would say that they're engaged in a creative form of evangelism, but but as we talk about there in the book, uh, where you quoted, um, you know, how can this be evangelism if you're not even using the name of Jesus? That, you know, what type of evangelism is that? Yeah, I mean, Jesus said that we would be hated because of his name. And um, for Christians to not use his name when they're saying they're evangelizing, um, that, that's troubling all in itself. Um, but as a parent, I see witchcraft, like we were talking about, um, New Age, NAR, and it's on a drastic rise right now. Um, more and more people are calling themselves Christian witches, which is an oxymoron and shouldn't go together. Um, but I want to do my best to inoculate my children against these things coming into the church. And um, you talk about this in your book, and I absolutely loved it. Can you tell us how can parents better inoculate their children against being sucked into this movement? Yeah, we have a chapter. I think it's called Deception Proofing Your Children. But yeah, we talk about um, what parents can do. You know, a lot of times as Christian parents, we'll, we'll prepare our kids. Hopefully we'll prepare our kids um, for when they, if um, they encounter atheism or, or maybe cults like Mormons. Um, Oh, they don't go by Mormons anymore, but anyways, they, uh, they gave up that name, but Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or, you know, different groups, but sometimes, a lot of times, most, most Christian parents don't think about the need to inoculate their children against the new apostolic reformation, and we share stories in our book of parents that were totally blindsided when they had a son or daughter get involved with the NAR, and then their son or daughter just cut them off, stopped talking to them, um, it completely changed their child's personality, um, and so it's really important for parents to inoculate their kids against the new apostolic reformation. And the ways they can do that is they can warn their kids about this movement. Um, they can explain to their kids what the teachings of this movement are, what the buzzwords are, how they might encounter it. It's really important for parents to be very alert to all the inputs that are coming into their kids' lives. And this could be at church. So at their own church, they should know what their kids are being taught in the Sunday school classes and the youth groups, not just assume if they're at a sound church, 
that they're being taught sound things, but to really parents, parents don't seem to know this sometimes, um, but they have the right to go into the Sunday school class and to sit and observe, you know, and see what their kids are being taught or to ask the teacher, what curriculum are you using? Can I look at the curriculum um, and ask questions? And really they have the, the, not just the right, really they have the moral obligation to be doing this. And when kids go are sent to Christian camps, no, what are they going to be taught at the camp? Who's teaching them? What ministries are partnering with the camp? Um, you know, know these things because a lot of times kids are exposed to NAR in a youth group setting or at a Christian camp or something like this. And the parents had no clue. Um, and so, so teach your kids about NAR, um, make sure that you're watching out for them for what they're being taught. And then also, of course, teach your kid um, sound theology, how to read the Bible correctly, what are the proper rules for interpreting the Bible in context. Um, and so we really encourage parents, you know, take time every day, maybe in the evening to take, take a little bit of time to read through the Bible with your children, uh, to read some theology books, to introduce them to sound theology. And, and um, these, these are ways that you can prepare your kids. So when they do encounter NAR, they'll be able to detect the what's off about the teachings, how scripture is being misused, where the theology is off. Um, yeah, those are, those are some of the things we talk about in that chapter. Well, I really, really appreciate your coming on and, um, and doing this interview with me. It has been awesome. And um, I hope maybe I can have you on again one of these days. <laughs> <That'd> <laughs> maybe on a textbook. Uh, oh yeah that would be wonderful yeah and I've really enjoyed this time this has been a really good discussion so thank you for having me on so what is the next book that we can uh be looking out for yeah so it's um oh I don't have the the subtitle down perfectly yet so I might not share the title yet I'm having <laughs> no worries. trouble remembering it exactly but um, but it is about as I mentioned earlier, it's it's a it's a deep dive into the teachings of Bethel Church and Bill Johnson and the global movement of apostles and prophets. But but the thing is, so for people, um, you know, this this is a really good book for um, introducing people to this movement. But some people may feel like it didn't go deep enough that they want to go deeper. That we didn't deal with certain scripture passages or certain objections. And so this next book is, is um, it's accessible, but it's more academic and it's very heavily documented like our first book. And so that um, people can, can um, really, really just get under the hood of NAR teachings and Bethel teachings in particular and Bill Johnson's teachings and um, look, look at them much more closely. And like I said, there's a lot of objections we weren't able to deal with in this book. So I really encourage your listeners if they feel like, yeah, but they didn't talk about this verse or they, you know, what about this or what about that to, to stay tuned for this next book because, or, or even our previous books, um, really encourage those to go back, go, you know, to go back to the previous book um, and see if we uh, address their, their questions there. Yeah, imagine how long your book would be if you actually <laughs> dealt with all of the things and you'd still end up mm -hmm. not being able to deal with them all because one, uh, you know, somebody else is going to come up with a, a point. You're like, okay, I missed that one. That's or, right. <laughs> or they're always coming up with new 
uh, mm -hmm. strange things that need to be addressed. NAR is a moving target. Yeah, because they have new revelations that are coming out all the time. And because, because the, the leaders can be slippery. And when you, when you start to explain like, well, like, you know, we've been explaining, look out for the talk about offices. If they talk about the offices of apostle and prophet, well, you know, NARS in view. Well, now some of the leaders have even told us that they're moving away from using that office language. And now they're referring to apostles as like functions or as gifts because they know the office language is controversial. And so, so it is a moving target and people need to be, to be aware of that. that their, their language is constantly evolving and shifting as well. And so if people go to my blog at holypivot.com, they can keep updated. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but I really keep current with these, these continuing developments. Well, we really appreciate that you do because you do a wonderful job at, um, at documenting them and making it so that we can um, sometimes, you know, I'll see something and I'm like, wow, I didn't, that's not something I've heard of yet. Um, and you make it so that we can actually go back and look for ourselves. It's really hard when you're trying to weed through um, all of the source material by yourself without having somebody else um, who can cite it, you know? Right. And, uh, and it's very nice to be able to have all that in one area, <laughs> right. you know, going to your site is very helpful. But I really appreciate you coming on and um, I, I hope you have a wonderful day. You as well. Thanks so much, Leah.